Johnny and AJ here. Do you struggle to spark a connection with possible friends and love interests? Is social anxiety or awkwardness getting in your way? Listen, your social anxiety, awkwardness, and lack of confidence are thwarting your attempts at meaningful relationships. But there's something you could do about it. After coaching over 9,000 clients on how to master social confidence, we've learned a thing or two about what it actually takes to spark an instant connection with someone. We've packaged these insights inside a download called the Instant Connection Kit. And as a thank you for being a podcast listener, we want to give you this kit for free. Inside the Instant Connection Kit, you'll get three resources to help you spark a connection with anyone in any social setting. These resources include our popular conversation formula, small talk conversation starters, and a resource to understand emotional bids. To get your hands on this kit and immediately start improving your relationships, go to theartofcharm.com slash connect. Remember, you could do something about your social anxiety, awkwardness, introversion, and more. Start with our instant connection kit at theartofcharm.com slash connect. Welcome to the Art of Charm podcast, where we break down the science of powerful communication and winning mindsets so you have the cheat code to succeed with people. Every episode is jam-packed with actionable steps to unlock the hidden superpowers inside of you. Level up with us each week by listening to interviews with the best in business, psychology, and relationships. We distill thousands of hours of research into the most effective tools and the latest science so you can start winning today. Let's face it, in order to be seen and heard, your communication needs to cut through the noise, and we're going to show you how. I'm AJ, successfully recovered introvert, entrepreneur, and self-development junkie. And I'm Johnny Zubak, former touring musician, promoter, rock and roller, and co-founder here at The Art of Charm. And for the last 15 years, we've trained thousands of top performers and teams from every background. We have dedicated our lives to teaching men and women all they need to know about communication, networking, and relationships. You shouldn't have to settle for anything less than extraordinary. Today we're doing something a little different. As many of you who've been following us for a while know, we here at The Art of Charm are huge fans of acceptance and commitment therapy. In fact, our entire unstoppable coaching program is built around this psychological model. So today, we're going through three core concepts of acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT, to give you a leg up in developing your own unstoppable confidence. We're going to talk about the most effective way to deal with negative thoughts that hold you back, how to deal with tough emotions like anxiety that can keep you stuck, and we'll help you find your core values to bring out your authentic self. In fact, for this episode, you won't just hear it from us. You'll also hear it from many of our past guests that are some of the world's most accomplished ACT practitioners. But before we dive into these concepts, let's look at what's actually holding you back from being your most confident self. Yeah, exactly, AJ. I think starting with an exercise here is important because when it comes to developing confidence, there are a lot of misconceptions out there in the world. And it almost feels like most people are trying to solve the wrong problem with the wrong tools. So let's do the following thought experiment. Uh, this is actually called the miracle question. It's been used in psychology since the dawn of time. Um, I'll give you a slight variation of the question. I would ask you, what would you do if you had unlimited confidence, if I had some magical ring or amulet or lucky charm or whatever that I could give you, and suddenly, just like that, you have unlimited confidence, whatever that might mean for you. I would like to ask you, what would you start doing with this confidence? And what would you stop doing 
in your life. Now, before you hopefully pause this recording for a little bit and give this some thought, here's an important point. Only write down things that you can actually do, like things that if I were to watch you, I could see you do them. So for example, I would start talking to strangers. I would speak up at work. I can see that, right? If you write down something like, I wouldn't doubt myself anymore. Mm, I can't really see that. If I were to film you, you know, that wouldn't show up on camera. I want to know what is your what is your body doing? What is your hands doing? What are you saying? What are you doing? What would you start doing? And what do you stop doing? Now, here's a follow-up question. In the here and now, uh, and little, uh, there's a little bad news here. I don't have a magical amulet. I don't have a magical ring, at least none that will give you unlimited confidence. Here's a follow-up question. If you look at all the things that you wrote down, what is stopping you from actually doing exactly that? What is stopping you from talking to strangers, speaking up at work, waking up earlier and going to the gym. What is stopping you? If you think this through, you'll find three reasons why you're not doing this, why you don't have unlimited confidence, why you do need that magical amulet. The first is you have thoughts that get in the way. I'm not good enough. What are they going to think? Um, I could never do that. I'm a loser. You have emotions that get in the way. Stress, anxiety, anger, sadness. Mostly for most people, when it comes to confidence, it's, it's anxiety. But those emotions get in the way. So we have thoughts, we have emotions that get in the way. And then we have the, but I don't have the skills argument, which is valid, but we're not going to let that count. Because if you don't start doing, if you don't start practicing, you will never, ever get the skills. So that's not an argument we can we can count. So that leaves us with your thoughts get in the way and your emotions get in the way. And don't get me wrong, I don't want to downplay this. Like your thoughts and your emotions, they have the stopping power of a brick wall. But that's also where we need to start, working on your thoughts and working on your emotions. So let's start with what do I do with all these negative thoughts that I'm having whenever I'm trying to better my life and improve everything in my life from social contacts to work, health, whatever it might be. What most people find is that when they're having a thought like, I'm a loser, I can't do that, no one likes me, they will take this thought as the absolute truth of the universe. If I'm having that thought, then it must be absolutely true. That's the argument that runs in people's minds. And in ACT terms, this is called cognitive fusion. You are fused with your thought. You and your thought, you're one unit. And that's a problem because if you believe that this thought is true, you will act on it. If you think that you're not good enough, you will not open your mouth. So in CBT, in classical cognitive behavior therapy, what you would do is you would make a list and write down why that thought isn't true. You'd give a hundred reasons why that thought isn't true. That's not what we're going to do. That's not what we're doing in ACT. That's not what we're doing in Unstoppable. Not because it doesn't work. It works at times. I just want to give you a different toolkit. Where we want to go is what's called defusion. So you have your thought and then there's you. You are having the thought. You are thinking the thought. The thought is there, just like the table in front of you is, just like the chair that you're sitting on is, just like the car that you're in is, but it's not the same thing. It's just one of tens of thousands of thoughts that you're having every day. Let's hear how the originator of acceptance and commitment therapy, Dr. Stephen Hayes, explains this on the show. So the diffusion skills are kind of prying this language monster off our face just enough that we can see it. It's like a hand that's in front of your eyes versus a hand that's out at arm's length. The same thought is there, 
but it functions completely differently. If it's out at arm's length, you can see what else is around you. And you don't have to necessarily rewrite what's on your hand in order to have some choices about what to do with your behavior. So instead of trying to argue your way out of it, carry your history with you because it comes with you. You know, if I say Mary had a little, I know what you're thinking. (laughs) If you really tried, say, okay, I'm going to fix it. Let's say it was really bad. And you're going to say toothbrush. Mary had a little toothbrush. Yeah, but if I go like this, you know, hot, you'll think cold. Toothbrush, you'll think lamb. So even if you try to push it out, you've now created yet another avenue to it. It's not farther away. It's closer now. Because now when you're thinking of something else, it can lead back. You know, when I was struggling with anxiety, if you said the word relaxation, I'd have a panic attack. <laughs> it's an actual empirical phenomenon. It's called yeah. relaxation induced yep. panic. Yep. <laughs> because of course it reminds you of it in the same way. If I went hot, you'd you know, think of cold or white, you'd think of black. And now toothbrush lamb. Thanks, old bald guy. You got that stupid thing in your head. <laughs> and by the way, there's no delete button in your nervous system. There's people who are listening to this. So the next time they're brushing their teeth, they're going to say, why am I thinking about lambs? <laughs> Thanks <laughs> for that. We appreciate it. the way it. the nervous system works. So instead of running away and fighting and hiding, which only builds it, could we find some ways that don't eliminate it, but give it a little space or distance so you can have that thought without it having you? And we call that diffusion. And it, it's a really fun area of work. There's hundreds of methods, but there's a bunch in the book and actually in the resources, there's like an, an act toolkit that people can get to walk through a whole lot of little micro things that they can use. Yeah. The experiment in the book we enjoyed was the don't think about chocolate cake. And yeah. what, what happens when we run that experiment? Well, when you do these thoughts, don't think of what happens is for the next several minutes, the frequency of the thought goes down. And then for like hours afterwards, mm-hmm. it goes way up. If you've ever tried to like, you know, diet by not thinking about that really cool thing that's in the refrigerator. Because if you think of it, you're going to eat it. Uh, you're doomed. You're doomed, <laughs> dude. You know, you're salivating. Your whole body is mobilizing to eat the freaking thing. Just because you said don't doesn't mean that you're not connected to it. You're, you're connected to it through don't. But it's still connected. And so... You know, what we have to do instead, instead of treating our mind as a logical organ, is treat it as a psychological organ. And the psycho part of it is any relation is a relation. So the best thing to do is to find a way to diminish its impact if it's unhealthy and augment its impact if it's healthy. And here's Dr. Jessica Boroshak, uh, who's walking through an example with you, AJ. A lot of times... Our mind is so loud and so strong and so overwhelming that our immediate reaction is just to get away from that. So we do things that in the short term help. So AJ, you were saying like, you got so many thoughts in your head, you're staying up at night. What do you find yourself doing in those moments when you're feeling overwhelmed with your mind? Well, what I try to do is put in my AirPods and listen to some music or something to distract my mind from all of those thoughts that are racing. And I will be honest, I don't often win that battle. Yeah, of course not. Because it's kind of like trying to plug your ears and being like, la, 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 I can't hear you, except your thoughts are inside your head. (laughs) Yeah, that's certainly the problem. So it's, it's not going to be that effective. 
And honestly, that is completely normal. When we experience something uncomfortable, it is natural to want to move away from it. Whether it's, you know, if we're afraid of spiders and we see a spider, we want to run in the other direction. If we have a thought that's uncomfortable or a feeling that's uncomfortable, we want to get away from it. So often we do things to try to distract ourselves. We go on social media, um, which generally ramps it up. We go to sleep, we eat, we watch Netflix, we work more, we take substances to kind of try to dull or, or make those thoughts go away. And those things work in the short term. And I think it's really important that we recognize that because what ends up happening is AJ gets super pumped up. He's got a million thoughts running through his head. He's overwhelmed. He puts in his, his AirPods and he tries to distract himself. And he's like, oh, it's not working. Everything I try to do doesn't work. And you get more sucked into it and you blame yourself that you're not doing the right thing. You're not trying hard enough. There's something wrong with you. When your mind is operating perfectly normally, <laughs> your mind is not effect. It's not effective to try to stop something from feeling or thinking a certain way. And your mind is doing this behavior or you're doing this behavior because it works in the short term to escape for a little bit. So like, why are we punishing ourselves over all of this? So I know I've gone over like what not to do. So what do we do in this moment? (laughs) The first thing is we have to notice that thoughts are there. And I know that sounds silly, but oftentimes we don't notice until things get super overwhelming or super overstimulating. And at that point, like we don't have a lot of impact. We're fighting against a much bigger opponent. So the first step is just get better at being aware. And I don't mean get more mindful. You don't have to listen to mindfulness meditations or anything like that. Just pay attention. Notice what your mind says. Notice how thoughts pop into your head. So AJ, I'm going to use you as an example. When you have thoughts racing in your head, are they words that you can see? Are they, is it like your own voice in your head? Is it just like a swarm of bees? What, how do you experience racing thoughts? I would say swarm of bees is probably a a very good (laughs) (laughs) metaphor for what's keeping me up at night. And it's bouncing back between, you know, past events, which I obviously can't control and then trying to foresee the future. So I find it's like this constant pinball of, oh, but that happened. And then, oh, this might happen. And what's happening in that moment is you come to this end point of, let's say you go to the past and you come to this resting point of like, this isn't helpful. I can't do anything about it, but you're still very stressed out. And so you're laying there and your mind's like, well, let's go to the future then. (laughs) Those are things you might be able to impact. So, so you're noticing a little bit where your mind's going, but it's like, it's buzzing so fast that you only kind of get maybe impressions of it. Right. Okay. So the first thing that we want to do is, is pause and recognize that like, there's still an us who's experiencing that. And I know it sounds a little odd or a little meta, but it's this realization that like, there's a me who is thinking thoughts, right? I'm, I'm thinking thinks. And if we can recognize that we're not our thoughts and that our thoughts don't have control over us, well, they become a little bit less threatening. And here's Dr. Hayes again, explaining how to treat those difficult thoughts. Number one, let's not try to fight with them as if our life depends on them. A fight will only make them more central. Number two, if you had somebody around you who's 
who is young and giving you kind of bad advice and something, you'd probably know how to not attend to it, but also to show compassion for it. You know, you probably have friends who are constantly worrying about things and so forth. Could we bring that same kind of self-kindness to ourselves, but learn the attentional flexibility skills so that thank you mind very much. You know, I know that you're trying to help me here. I got this thing covered, dude. You know, I know you're, what you're telling me is an intent to help, but you know, I want to do this other thing where you would do that with a, a child who's trying to boss you around and you wouldn't have to put gut duct tape over their mouth or sort of shame them. Could you do the same thing with your own mind when it's telling you stuff that, you know, probably it has a history. I bet you, you can even remember some of why you're thinking that pattern and it's mm-hmm. well grooved and there's no delete button in the nervous system. You'll go to your grave with the capacity to think that and occasionally you will. So what? If you can get a little bit of distance from it, you can bring it along with you. Sort of like a passenger coming along in the back seat of your car. You still get to drive and you don't have to like stop the car and fight with it and try to get them to jump out, which they're not going to do or shut up, which they're not going to do. So when it comes to diffusion, the question is not, is this thought true? Instead, I would ask you, is this thought helpful? So to give you an example, imagine that uh, Johnny and I were both invited to do a guitar solo on stage. And we're both having the thought, ooh, I'm not good enough to perform in front of thousands of people. Uh, We both might have that thought. Now, Johnny would come to the realization that this thought is not helpful put it aside and be like, yeah, I'm going to have that thought and I'm going to go on stage and I'm going to totally rock this. If you give a guitar to me and tell me to get up on stage in front of thousands of people and I'm having the thought, I can't do that, I'm going to completely fail, that thought is really, really helpful because I can't play the guitar at all. So I'll probably like mentally and physically hurt people if I go up on stage and play guitar. So for me, that thought is helpful. And now I can act on it. I can say, okay, I need some more guitar lessons. I need to, you know, practice this. And the, whether the thought is true is in that regard, completely irrelevant. The only matter is, is it helping me if I have that thought? If the answer is yes, it's helping me. Hold on to the thought, act on it. If it's not helpful, let it go. Let it just be one of those thousands of thoughts that you're having every day anyway. So here's the second component that is going to hold you back from developing unstoppable confidence, your negative emotions. They show up whenever you step outside of your comfort zone. You might be getting an invitation to go to a social event and anxiety builds up because you don't feel that comfortable around people you don't know. So you decline the invitation, you come up with an excuse. You might have the opportunity to start a conversation with someone you are standing next to while you're waiting for the train, but then you realize that that's also a little bit anxiety provoking. And so you retreat to your comfort zone and you keep your mouth shut. This idea of it feels uncomfortable, so I'm going to do whatever it takes to not feel that negative emotion. That's called experiential avoidance. You're avoiding having the experience of a difficult emotion. And experiential avoidance is highly correlated with low life satisfaction. And when you think about it, that makes a lot of sense because if you are experientially avoidant, you stay in your comfort zone. 
And what happens? Your comfort zone gets smaller and smaller and smaller. That doesn't feel too good, does it? The idea here of how we deal with those difficult emotions is going to sound quite counterintuitive, but I invite you to, to try it out, to give it a chance. The idea of experiential acceptance, which is the, the opposite, the, the change process there, is the idea of just making room for that emotion. Just like you can have a thought and not act on it, you can also have an emotion and not act on it. You can feel a little bit anxious and still go to that party. You can feel a little bit angry and not yell at people. Like, I don't know how many times you, if, if you have neighbors like me, you might get angry at them a lot and want to throw things their way. But guess what? We don't act on that stuff. We don't act the emotion out. At least I hope most of the time. And this experiential acceptance is the idea of saying to the emotion, hey, you're here. I don't want you to be there, but I also know that you're not going away. But I know very well that if I listen to you, I'm going to be stuck in my comfort zone for the rest of my life. So how about we do this? You can stay in my brain, in my chest, in my heart, wherever you feel the emotion. You can just stay there, take a seat, grab a cookie, uh, make yourself some tea, because I'm going to that party. I'm going to talk to that person. And I'm willing and able to accept the fact that I have to take you with me. This sounds, when, when people hear this for the very first time, this sounds very, very counterintuitive and almost impossible. Now, however, think about the last time you watched a movie, a movie that was that was exciting or dramatic or, or sad. You had a lot of emotions watching that movie. And if you were in a cinema, you actually paid good money to have all of these emotions, but you weren't affected by them. You were maybe scared a little bit or you were sad when one of the main characters in the movie died, or you were a little bit anxious to find out that, you know, this wasn't all you expected and actually this person was the murderer and the other one is innocent and, and all of those things. You're, you're feeling the emotions just as, just, in real, just as in you would in real life, but you are not affected by them at all. And that is the idea of ex experiential acceptance. And so the next time a difficult emotion comes your way, I would invite you to just make a little bit of room for it and see the situation as if it were a movie and you're just observing the emotion being there. In that regard, there is one big misconception that stops people from developing that confidence because they are constantly aiming for happiness. It is the idea that the only acceptable feeling in the world is happiness. But actually, uh, one of our previous guests, Dr. Russ Harris, the author of The Happiness Trap, explains that a lot better when we had him on the show. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. 
What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Ciao. You know, the book's called The Happiness Trap because popular myths about happiness will make you miserable if you base your life on them. And uh, I suppose the mo most common of these kind of happiness myths is the idea that happiness is feeling good. You ask most people, what's happiness? They'll say it's a good feeling or, uh, you know, the Macquarie Dictionary, which is Australia's kind of number one dictionary, defines happiness as a state of pleasure or contentment. But if that's your idea of happiness, then there's no such thing as lasting happiness because, like, how long can a, a happy feeling or a good feeling last for? I mean, let me ask you guys, the happiest day of your life, you know, how long were you feeling happy for before there was some frustration, anxiety, or disappointment, Right. Well, living here in LA, it's yeah. typically when you get in your car and drive away. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So if your idea is that happiness is feeling good, you're going to be constantly battling uh, with the reality that good feelings don't last very long. And uh, linked to that myth is the idea that the natural state for human beings should be one of happiness. There's this idea out there that if you give people food and water and shelter and employment and a good social structure, they're just naturally going to feel feel happy. 
but I, I say to my clients all the time that the uh, you know emotions are like the weather; you expect them to change continually. It would be weird if all day, every day, was a kind of warm spring, sunny day, right? You expect to feel fear and sadness and anger and disappointment as you go through your life. If you're going to live a full human life, you're going to feel the full range of human emotions, not just the ones that feel good. So if you subscribe to this, uh, this myth that the natural state for humans is happiness, again, it sets you up for a struggle with reality. And then building on top of those two myths is a third myth, this idea that, you know, if you're not happy, you're defective. There's something wrong with you. You should think positive, feel good, be happy, don't worry. And if that's not the case, there's something wrong with you. Uh, and, you know, my my 12-year-old son came home from school, this was about a year ago when he was 12, uh, and he he said, I'm depressed, dad. And I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean you're depressed? You know, and, and what happened was, I don't know if, if you guys had the craze for fidget spinners over there. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, well, they were, you know, they were huge here. And he'd been playing with his fidget spinner against the teacher's instructions and she'd taken it off him and she wouldn't give it back to him. And so he came home and said, I'm depressed because she wouldn't give me back my fidget spinner. But this is what's going on. It's like uh, these pathological terms such as depression are creeping into everyday usage and replacing uh, normal language such as feeling a bit down or a bit sad. Uh, So, you know, if you're not happy, there's something wrong. And and then on top of all of those three myths, they they lead, lead right to the the kind of biggest happiness trap of all, which is if in order for me to have happiness, I need to avoid and escape the unpleasant, difficult thoughts and feelings and replace them with the ones that feel good. Uh, You know, this kind of, we're in a feel-good society. And for the first time in human history, happiness is now being defined as feeling good, whereas throughout most of human history, it's been defined as doing good, you know, living your values, doing the stuff that's meaningful in life. Uh, And so... All of this sets people up just to struggle with the reality that life is painful and difficult and doesn't teach people how to deal effectively with the painful emotions that are a part of living a rich and meaningful life. So I think the number one thing is to redefine happiness. You know, if if I were to define happiness, it's a word I stay away from because it's such a loaded term, but if I was forced to define happiness right now on this show, I would define it as living a rich and meaningful life in which we feel the full range of human emotions without a struggle. And so let's break that down. Let's live a rich and meaningful life. Let's kind of get in touch with our core values, what we want to stand for in life, what we want to be about as human beings, and use those as a compass to kind of guide us through life. Get back to the idea of happiness as doing good rather than feeling good. Do the stuff that's meaningful and life-enhancing. And Let's learn how to engage and focus and put our full attention into what we're doing so that we can appreciate it. And let's learn how to feel the full range of human emotions. Most of us are okay feeling the pleasant emotions, but let's learn how to feel the painful emotions without a struggle, how to let them flow through us, how to let them kind of come and go without getting caught up in them, step out of the fight with them. And this here is how Dr. Diana Hill, author of ACT Daily Journal, explains this uh, with the example of rumination. Absolutely. And I would add that ruminating is an experiential avoidance strategy. And that blows people's mind. (laughs) Like, what? I'm not avoiding anything by ruminating. Oh, yeah, you are. You are avoiding the discomfort of feeling sad, disappointed, anxious, 
So what if you had sad, disappointed, anxious, and instead of ruminating about it, which is just a problem-solving technique, like if I think about it hard enough, then maybe I can fix it. I feel like I'm doing something about it, right? If I go rehearse over and over again that relationship or that moment where I said something that I wish I hadn't said, what if instead you turn towards those feelings and you practice some of these processes? So I, you know, I think it's important when we're talking about psychological flexibility, some of those processes may be acceptance which is opening and allowing for that discomfort. And you can do that in an embodied way. You can do that. Can I make space for the anxiety or sadness in my body? If it were a shape, what shape would it be? If it were moving, how would it be moving? Can I make more space for it? Can I allow it to be there while engaging in another process? My values. By taking committed action, even though this painful thing has happened, instead of ruminating in my head about it, what am I going to do in my life today? that matters to me, that aligns with the type of person that I want to be in the world, right? So we have acceptance, we have values, we have not getting stuck in our heads, which is cognitive diffusion. We have perspective taking, which is our ability to zoom out and look at a bigger picture and look at ourselves as transcendent beings over time. Here's the third skill to develop unstoppable confidence. And you've heard our guests mention values before already. Finding and living your core values is a huge takeaway for the participants of Unstoppable. It's the one thing where people say like, when I learned about this, it gave a massive boost to my confidence and my quality of life. Values are different from goals. Goals, I probably don't have to explain to you too much. Most people know what goals are. They've set goals for themselves and all, you know, all the stuff that comes with them, the milestones, the metrics, and so on. Goals are something that at one point you can achieve and you can check off. And that's going to be important in, in a minute when I talk about values. But there are a few problems that come with goals. And don't, I don't mean to diminish goals. I think everyone should have goals. They're insanely good, but there are a couple of drawbacks. Number one, sometimes we pick goals that were given to us from other people. Like my parents still dream of the day when I become a tax accountant. Uh, luckily, not a goal that I adapted for myself. Sometimes we get goals from the commercials that we watch, the movies that we watch, the fr what our friends, what our family is doing. The informational input for our goals sometimes comes from the outside and might not be fully aligned with what we actually really want to do. Another big problem with goals is that they often are very far in the future. If your goal is to own a house or to build your company or to have a family, you might be looking at a couple of years, if not more. And if you use the usual definition of success that most of us unfortunately use, and that is when I achieve my goal, then I will be successful. If you think about the fact that your goals are often very much in the future, you'll have to wait a really, really long time before you can get that feeling of success. Another problem is that goals aren't always up to us to achieve. Sometimes other people will make the decision for us. Sometimes it's not completely up to you whether you get the job, whether you get the promotion, whether you get the race, whether you get to buy that house or marry that person. Everyone else, not everyone, but some people have a say in whether you achieve your goal or not. And the last problem with goals is a concept that's known as hedonic adaptation. That's a fancy term for being in a hamster wheel. Like you reach a goal and you, you feel really good, you celebrate 
And then the next morning you sit down and you write down new goals. We, we adapt to what we have and then we just set the next goal, the next goal, the next goal. And it's a never ending story of running in a hamster wheel. Again, like I said, goals are amazing and you need to have goals. You just also need to be aware of the shortcomings that they can at times have. And that's exactly where values come in. So I like to explain this. If you're, if you're an 80s kid or a 90s kid, you might get my reference to Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat where you had kicks and you had punches and both of them were great. But when you combine them together, you got like all the superpowers. And I see goals and values a little bit like this. They're very powerful on their own, but when you combine them together, that's when the really good stuff happens. So goals are desired outcomes, but values are principles of life. They're, they're qualities of living. They ask you questions like, how do you want to show up as a human being? How do you want to be remembered in life? What do you want to stand for? So my values, for example, are responsibility, laughter, integrity, self-care, and so on. And those are principles that I want to stand for. Notice when I say that my value is, for example, integrity, I will never be able to put a check mark behind that. There will never ever be a day where I'll say, you know what, this integrity thing, I think I got that, I got that done with, um, you know, this works, uh, I'll leave that behind me now. Until the day that I die, integrity is going to be one of my values. It will always stay with me. I can never ever check it off. And the other powerful thing that comes with values is that no matter what I do, I can live my value of integrity, my, my value of laughter, my value of self-care, of responsibility. I can live those values no matter what I'm doing. I don't need anyone's permission. I don't need anyone to, to approve this or help me with them. I can bring my value of laughter to cooking dinner, to going on a date, to having a work meeting. They can go anywhere. And that's what I want to stand for as a human being. The third differentiation to goals is that while your goals are always in the future, by definition, your values, by definition, are always in the here and now. Like right now, how am I living my values of self-care? Say, well, I'm drinking a lot of water while, you know, we're recording this. So, so there you go. Um, I'm also thinking that I might bring a little bit of my value of laughter into this. And, and guess what? Like no one can tell me not to, because that's only up to me. So once you've defined your values, you have something that gives you stability and decision-making power and quality of life in the here and now, because when you're living your values, you are successful. You don't have to wait until you accomplish all your goals. When in this very moment, you're living your values, guess what? That was a successful moment. If during the day you've lived your values, that was a successful day. When your goals and your values in this way come together, that's when it becomes powerful. Goals leading you into the future, values guiding you in the moment. Let's hear it from Dr. Stephen Hayes and how he explains four ways in which you can find your values. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. 
Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, I think you need to kind of hold them lightly and pursue them passionately. If you hold them really, really seriously, it would be like playing a game where the first thing is, and by the way, if you lose the game, I'm going to shoot you. That's not a game. Anymore. That doesn't sound like fun. That's game. not fun. That's not fun. The kind of values we want is the kind of values that is like kids playing. You know, I can get to that tree before you touch me. You know, that really produces so much vitality and joy and fun in life. And I know of only four ways that reliably take you there. If you take the things that are painful in your life and flip it over, they'll suggest what you care about. If you take the sweet spots, the moments where you feel especially uplifted and connected, you slow it down, look at that experience (laughs) and unpack it. In there, you're going to find some of the values that move you. If you pick your heroes or guides, in this kind of situation, who do you really look up to? Who do you really say, man, you know, that person moves me deeply in some way. Look in there and you'll see something that you want to put into your behavior as a value. And then the fourth one is, if you were to be writing your story, and if it's like this is a hero's journey and you don't get to write what the challenges are in the next chapter. You don't get to write which characters will show up or which tragedies will happen, but you do get to write what is the theme of this book about. Is this a tragedy you're writing or is this a hero's journey? That authorship uh, is the fourth way in. And so in the book, I kind of walk through techniques that help people do that. I don't kind of like it as a matter of discovering your values. It's more like choosing your values. Because you're not like searching around in a field or something. (laughs) You're just showing up to what's true for you and owning it. And being comfortable changing them, right? I think that's the other thing. Changing your behavior to link to it, but also changing the values. Sometimes you might find yourself having made values choices or kind of values choices, but they were done in automatic pilot, mandlessly. Maybe it's out of compliance. You know, mama told you you're supposed to. Mm Maybe it's out of, uh, otherwise I'd feel guilty. So it's really based on avoidance. Maybe it's based on, oh, I have to. So it's really based on the dictator's dictates. If we can, all of those, by the way, don't predict behavior change. The research on that's really clear. So what the hell? I mean, it's not of any use to you anyway. You know, wagging a finger at yourself is not of use. Part of you says, you can't make me. I'm not going to eat my vegetables. You did it when you were four. You're going to do it when you're 44, <laughs> 34, 24. So... Could we instead kind of empower choice? And I give the tools as to how to do that. You have to have emotional openness to it because we hurt where we care. 
you have to have cognitive flexibility and diffusion skills to do it because you can't just turn this over to the dictator to tell you what you should care about. And if you can do those two, then choice becomes possible and values choices are the, one of the most powerful forces for good and known on the planet, physically, socially, psychologically, in every way. I don't know anybody who lives a powerful life who doesn't know something about what their values are. You just can't do it. It's like trying to take a journey where you don't know where the hell you're going. And here's a creative way our guest, Dr. Janina Scarlett, uses to help her clients find their values. And she's using a form of act she created that she called superhero therapy. I like to go at it from like a playful side and encourage folks to think about, to imagine that there is maybe a graphic novel or a movie made about you at the end of your life. It's kind of your legacy project. And so this graphic novel or this movie depicts your life in a way that will then be inspirational for everyone who reads it and watches it. So the question is, what would you want people to take away from this? Maybe they would see the kind of superhero that has been through so many obstacles and so much trauma, and yet uh, was because of it or as a part of it, maybe was able to help so many other people in, in helping them to understand that they're not alone, for instance, or somebody that was able to use their talent for art or music or storytelling to then encourage other people to uh, maybe share their creativity or to learn that they're not alone. And so I encourage people to actually write out maybe a brief outline for this graphic novel or a movie, um, or maybe even draw a few comic, like comic book panels. And then to think about what are the most important things that you see here? Maybe this is a character that, that is giving, maybe they're compassionate, maybe they're somebody that no matter what they're going through, remembers what they want to give back, for example. And then, so from these core values, we can then create certain actions. For example, what is something I can do today to be this kind of superhero, to put on this either metaphorical or maybe real cape and to do something that's helpful? Um, whether it's maybe I'll make a post on social media about what it's like to live with PTSD, for example, or a specific challenge that you're facing so that other people know that they're not alone or maybe something helpful that you've learned that, that has been helping you along the way so that maybe it can benefit someone else. And when we can look at this big picture, at the kind of graphic novel, at the kind of book, at the kind of legacy that we want to live behind, it can help us to map out certain steps that we can start taking today to make that possible. And this is how Dr. Diana Hill explains living with your values. Well, I really believe that it's a tuning in process. So I see values as personal and chosen. And much like if you were tuning a guitar, you'd play the guitar and you'd listen in. And a musician, what's interesting about musicians, and you probably know this, Johnny, is that we give musicians time to tune up before they play. With if your musician's gonna play, we're like, take your time. It's gonna be, it's gonna be better if you tune, if you tune up, whatever time you need, right? So if you think about the strings of the guitar, those can be represent the domains of your life, right? And when you when you're a guitarist, I learned this from my son, he plays guitar, you, you play it all and then you go string by string and you tune. So the domains of your life may be your health your relationships, your work, your spirituality, your community, right? Your parenting, your friendships, right? You play and then you go string by string and you listen 
to hear if it's out of tune. And only you know, you know, some people will give you some feedback, like that was a little out of tune there. <laughs> Sometimes I get that from my kids, right? But only you really know what is in tune for you. And what's interesting is oftentimes we know that, we know that we're out of tune with our values, but all these other processes get in the way, non-acceptance, beliefs about ourselves, thoughts. So tuning in is really, uh, I think, the first part of values. I think the second part of it is um, that sometimes what points us to our values is what's most painful to us. And if we're engaging in experiential avoidance and we're avoiding discomfort because we're numbing out or we're striving or we're working too hard or we're um, bracing with our bodies or we're checked out, then we miss out on the opportunities for growth that come from our suffering. Often our suffering is a big arrow that points to what we care about most. Today's shout out goes to Adam, who just finished the Unstoppable course. He put in a lot of work implementing the concepts in Unstoppable during the week and then came to our weekly Q&A live sessions to share what he had learned and to get feedback from his peers and coach. Adam, I loved your idea of using short-term parking when you went to a social event so that you would be forced to talk with people right away. It was a pleasure to work with you. And just thinking back to our first session, it's amazing to see what progress you've made. Good luck on your journey. I know you now have all the tools that you need. If you've listened this far, my guess is that's because you want more out of life and finally to succeed at love, work, and life. If that's the case, then join us, the Art of Charm team, and hundreds of other people just like you who are experiencing breakthrough conversations, supercharging their confidence, and growing an incredible network inside our world-famous X-Factor Accelerator program. The X-Factor Accelerator is where high-achieving, like-minded people meet, strategize, and unlock their hidden X-Factor to make sure they get the most out of life's opportunities and unlock those doors keeping you from success. We start every month with an intense goal-setting strategy session so that you have a personalized plan of attack, as well as weekly implementation sessions with opportunities to practice your conversation skills, rapport building, supercharge your charisma through powerful communication, and unlock the charm to attract the right people into your life. Imagine what you can accomplish with coaching and mentorship with the Art of Charm. What are you waiting for? Join us today at unlockyourxfactor.com. That's unlockyourxfactor.com. A huge thank you to our producers, Michael Harold and Eric Montgomery. We hope you have an epic week. Yeah, remember you. You were the bad boy. You